Father in heaven, we're asking right now, just for a special portion of your Holy Spirit, we want to understand prayer. We want to understand not just this idea of, uh, you know, how to tap the buttons in the ATM machine correctly. No, but we want to understand a relationship with you that is real and open and that we can rely upon. And so as we study this concept of intercessory prayer, would you please uh, give us a heart for this? Give us an understanding from your Holy Spirit. Give us illumination and clarity as we look at lots of different texts in Scripture. God, please, just teach us today how to pray. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so Becoming a House of Prayer. Today's title is Standing in the Gap. Maybe you're asking yourself, what in the world is interceding anyway? What, what does it mean to, to intercede in prayer anyway? Uh, there are a couple of definitions from dictionary.com for that verb form to intercede. And it simply is the act of interposing in behalf of someone in difficulty or in trouble, as by pleading or petition. So you've got a friend, you've got a neighbor, you've got someone who's who's got some sort of difficulty, and you are kind of uh, intervening in a sense. You're pleading on their behalf. You're interposing. Second definition, it's to attempt to reconcile differences between two people or groups. In other words, to mediate. So again, uh, it's not just a friend that's in trouble. Maybe maybe it's two parties that are in trouble. It's two friends that are uh, experiencing some relational tension, and you want to step in as an intercessor, someone who mediates conversation and openness there. So, uh, but the, the idea in the Bible, from the literal Hebrew words and the literal, literal Greek words, it, it carries this concept of mediating, but it adds this emphasis of a relational encounter. In fact, the word itself means to meet, to encounter someone specifically with the, the goal of uh, requesting or pleading or petitioning. And so when we're talking about intercessory prayer, it's, it has this relational dynamic of not just meeting people, but meeting God on behalf of other people. Intercessory prayer is a lot more than wishful thinking. Okay, follow, follow this with me. So I, I, mentioned with, uh, I mentioned to you that I went with my brother and dad to New York. And the reason that we went is that my brother was given tickets to this thing called the U.S. Open. I don't know if any t- tennis fans out there, but uh, it was this Grand Slam event. And, uh, you know, we were watching some big-name uh, tennis professionals play. And I tell you, when we were watching Roger Federer losing the fourth set, there were so many people around us who were just like, in a prayer position. <laughs> I don't know if it was just the intensity of the seats and just like leaning forward and stuff, but, but you could kind of see that they were wishing for something different about their favorite tennis player. Uh, maybe I was one of those people. Too. No, anyways, but uh, the reality is that the intercessory prayer is a lot more than just wishing something for someone else. Intercessory prayer, like I said, it has this dynamic of meeting God on behalf of someone else. It's not just throwing a penny into the fountain. Intercessory prayer is an approach to God on behalf of someone else's need or difficulty. So that's what intercessory prayer is. But maybe you're asking the question, okay, so I understand this concept. You know, you pray for someone else. Someone's going, you know, in Texas or, uh, you know, on the, the coast of Florida or something. And you're wanting to pray for them. Or maybe you have a family member who's just far from God. You know, they, they had so many blessings in their young life. But then the way they are now and just what they're facing now, it's, it's like God is not even on their radar. And so you're praying for someone. You're, you're praying for those others, uh, those people who are important to your life. But the question that sometimes we ask is why? Why should we intercede? Why should we intercede? Um, 
I want us to take a look at a couple of verses together in the Old Testament. So turn in your Bible with me. I don't know if I have these on here. I don't. Don't look at that yet. Okay. Um, Go with me to Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 59. Just a a fair warning. We're going to go to a lot of different texts. Okay. So if you're writing things down, make sure to take notes. Um, If you're using a Bible app, you may, depending on how fast your thumbs are, you may be able to keep up. But Isaiah 59, it's in the Old Testament. And I would simply say, if you're asking the question today, why should I intercede for others? Maybe the first answer to that question is simply because God wants you to. God God wants you to. It might sound simplistic, it might sound elementary, but the reality is that God is looking for people to intercede. Isaiah 59, Old Testament passage, Old Testament prophet. If you're there in Isaiah 59, go ahead and say, Amen. All right, I'm going to start in verse uh, 14. Isaiah 59 is, is written in a time in which God's people are totally far from the ideal that God has for his people. And in verse 14, the Bible says, Justice is turned back. Righteousness stands afar off. Truth is fallen in the street. And equity cannot enter. Are these good things? Yes or no? If justice is far from you, if righteousness has no chance to stand, if equity doesn't even have entrance into your environment, man, this is a place that you don't want to be because moral values, moral ideals, they are not on the radar. And in verse 15 it says, So truth fails. And he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. In other words, people who want to do good and run from evil, they're actually being attacked. The rest of 15, it says, Then the Lord saw it, and it did what? It displeased him. That's what my Bible says. It displeased him that there was no justice. And then it goes on in verse 16. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no... What does your Bible say? There was no intercessor. No one praying and pleading on behalf of the difficult situation. And in the New King James, it says that he wondered, God wondered that there was no intercessor. Maybe it might mean that God is asking himself, why is nobody standing up? But literally, the Hebrew word means he is appalled. God is disgusted. It's like he's been punched in the stomach. Nobody feels the way he feels about his people. Nobody is feeling that to the degree that they want to pray. In fact, if you uh, turn in, into Ezekiel, Ezekiel is just a few books to the right. So you got Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, and then Ezekiel 22. Ezekiel 22, it's, it's written several years later, but the condition of God's people is still the same. By now, some of the people of, of Israel have been taken captive into Babylon, and Ezekiel is still sharing messages from God to his people. And Ezekiel 22, Ezekiel 22 carries a similar sentiment. If you're there in Ezekiel 22, say, I found it. All right? Ezekiel 22, and I'll start in verse 29. Again, you catch this sentiment. The people of the land have used oppressions, committed robbery, and mistreated the poor and needy. They wrongfully oppressed the stranger. Wow, things haven't changed very much. Yeah. <laughs> And in verse 31, notice, therefore, I'm sorry, verse 30. So I sought for a man among them. And in Isaiah 59, it says, I sought for a man, you know, someone to intercede. But notice how it's described in Ezekiel 22. So I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it. But I found 
no one. Wow. In place of the idea of an intercessor, that God is looking for an intercessor, but he doesn't find one. In, in, in Ezekiel, he says, I'm looking for someone to stand in the gap, to make a wall, to kind of put an end to this, to say enough is enough, to draw a line in the sand and say, okay, okay, thus far and no farther, right? But there's nobody. There's nobody. He's looking for someone to stand in the gap. What kind of gap is God talking about? The gap of a broken relationship between where he is and where God's people are. There's a gap there. Or maybe it's a gap between what God's ideal is and what our real current situation is. Those are gaps that God wants to bridge. And you know how he bridges it? It's through prayer. It's through people praying. And as an intercessor, you're not just, uh, you know, facilitating conversation. Literally, you are standing in the gap. You are standing in that gap of a broken relationship and saying, God, you're over here. My friend, my, my brother, my cousin is over here. Lord, I want to pray and stand in the gap to bridge this gap between you and my loved one. God is looking for intercessors. He's looking for bridge builders in prayer. Why is he looking? It's not because he is unwilling to build bridges himself. It's not because he is unwilling to bestow blessings, but he is unwilling to violate our free choice to ask God to do it. See, See, there are things that God wants to do, but he realizes that as a perfect gentleman who is governed not by coercion, but by love, he is not going to move or interpose or impose his blessings upon us, so to speak, without permission. And that permission is granted through prayer. Through prayer. And, you know, I've asked myself this question. Maybe this has crossed your mind. Almost an objection of sorts. Well, you know, God already knows the end from the beginning. He he already knows how it's all going to pan out. I mean, isn't it just going to happen the way he wants it to happen? Why even ask, you know? He already knows if my brother is going to experience salvation or if my my cousin is going to be healed or whatever. So why even ask? Why even ask? Well, let me, uh, I I guess that's a very complex question, which probably requires a very complex answer. (laughs) Um, But let me me attempt a, a simple answer. That God, while he may have foreknowledge about a situation or about someone's destiny, his foreknowledge is not deterministic. Does that make sense? In other words, just because he knows the outcome, his knowledge of that outcome does not presume that he is determining that outcome, that he is causing that outcome. He doesn't remove our choice in allowing him to do things or not to do things in our lives or the lives of others. So our asking, our praying, actually enables God to act on our behalf, on the behalf of others around us, without violating our human will. You know, there's this thing called the great controversy, the conflict between good and evil. And in this warfare, this spiritual warfare, there are rules of engagement. It's the rules of God's own character, the limitations of God's character of love that does not operate from a a premise of force and coercion, but operates from a premise of sacrifice and giving when, when given permission to. In fact, there's this quote in The Great Controversy um, that says simply this, that it is a part of God's plan to grant us in answer to the prayer of faith that which he would not bestow did we not thus ask. 
And, and this is really playing off of the biblical concept in James chapter 4, verse 3. We looked at it last week. You have not because you ask not. Okay? God wants to build bridges. God wants to restore the gap. He wants to make a wall. But he will not and cannot unless first asked. Are we following that today? Yeah? So this is why it's, it's essential to pray. One, God is looking for intercessors. And two, he's not going to violate our human will. And so through intercessory prayer, we actually give God permission. We open the, the gates, so to speak, and allow him to come in. And I think this is what Paul had in mind. You know that, that passage, that classic passage maybe in Ephesians chapter 6, where he's talking about, hey, we, we don't war against flesh and blood. But we war against principalities and powers. And so he says, in this spiritual warfare, this great controversy, this conflict between good and evil, stand strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And then he starts outlining these things called the armor of God. Have you heard of this before? You know, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the shoes of the preparation of the gospel of peace, the the sword of the spirit, all these kinds of things. And then at the very end of that list, in verse 18, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, he says this, not as uh, a new concept separate from the armor of God, not as uh, like he's starting a new chapter. No, no, no. This is part and parcel to this idea of how to stand strong in the Lord. And it says this in verse 18, the New International Version says, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Do you see that? That prayer is a weapon in spiritual warfare. And notice it's not just any kind of prayer, but it's praying for. It's praying for all people. It's intercessory prayer. And I love it. It says, pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Uh, You could call this all prayer, okay? All prayer is needed in spiritual warfare. So that's why Paul concludes this. He recognizes the the rules of engagement that God is not necessarily limited by. Well, yeah, yeah, limited by. He has placed himself in position to, or uh, we allow him to be put in position to, through prayer, to bless and to work in people's lives. And this, you know, just this reality that the intercessory prayer is something that is available to us in the great controversy, it makes me ask this sobering question. If I don't stand in the gap for him or her, if I don't stand in the gap for them or for those, then who will? You think about that, that individual that you have a burden for. Who else is praying for that individual? And this isn't to place like a guilt trip on us and this heavy burden like, okay, I need to get... The reality is that if I don't, Jesus will. In Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, we are told that he always lives. Praise the Lord. He is the resurrected Savior. He always lives. But in verse 25, it says he always lives to make intercession for us. Like this is the thing that Jesus lives for right now. You you wonder what Jesus occupies his time with. He's not just twiddling his thumbs. I mean, maybe he's pounding a few nails in my heavenly mansion or no. But really, what he is occupied with is interceding for you and I. And so, maybe some of us haven't been interceding. Maybe some of us haven't been standing in the gap. Praise the Lord that Jesus does. And the beautiful privilege of actually standing in the gap for others is that we're standing in the gap with Jesus. 
that when we engage in intercessory prayer, we are actually in step with Jesus in a way that we would not be had we not been engaged in intercessory prayer. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. That's why we intercede. So what is intercession? It's, it's that relational encounter, meeting God on behalf of someone else. Why do we intercede? Because God is looking for intercessors, because God is limited in the rules of engagement of the great controversy, and because we are in step with Jesus when we engage in intercessory prayer. And so maybe now the question is, how then? How, how do I do that? How do I engage in intercessory prayer in a meaningful way? And that's what I want to spend the rest of our time looking at together. Um, we're going to go through the ABCs, so to speak, of intercessory prayer. And we're going to look at different examples of people who did this. Okay, So again, we're going to go through lots of different texts. But the first one is simply this. How do I intercede? To <clears throat> Lesson number one is that we intercede with agony. We intercede with agony. Someone may be cringing at this, like, what, what? No pain, no gain? Is this what we're talking about? <laughs> to intercede with agony. Go with me to Colossians. Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4. There's a, a man that, that I don't really hear much about in the New Testament, but Paul references him as someone who is really laboring for God's people. And he is doing something very specific. Colossians is in the New Testament. It's after the Corinthians. You, you'll find Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, then Colossians. You've got all those Ians together. And then Colossians chapter 4, verse 12 is what we want to find. Colossians 4, verse 12. What do you mean by praying with agony? If you're there, go ahead and say, I'm there. All right, Colossians chapter 4. And Paul is talking about a man named Epaphras. Epaphras, is, he's, a, he's kind of like a, a fellow laborer, a fellow uh, minister, co, co-worker in, in the gospel ministry. And it says in verse 12, Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you, always laboring fervently for you in what? In prayers. Do you like that? Always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. I love this. Maybe your Bible says it differently. I think the New International Version may say, always wrestling fervently for you in prayer." The word that this, this word uh, in the New King James says laboring, uh, the word is agonizomai. Again, it's, it's literally agony. Okay? It's the, it carries this idea of contending and struggling, fighting for with strenuous zeal and strife even. So you imagine what Epaphras is doing. How, how does Paul know that Epaphras is always laboring fervently for you in prayer? I don't know, maybe on their ministry journeys, you know? He hears something at night that wakes him up, and it's Epaphras on his face, tears, gripping his pillow. Lord Jesus, those believers in Colossae, Lord, they're, they're up against so many things. The elements of this world are so powerful. Please, God, deliver them. I mean, how does Paul know that Epaphras is always laboring? It's because he's agonizing in a very obvious way. To intercede is not for the faint-hearted. I'll just start with that. To intercede is not with a faint heart. Intercession recognizes the spiritual warfare that's behind the scenes, recognizes the high stakes, and agonizes with God in prayer. To pray with agony is to pray with urgency. To pray with agony is to pray with a sense of fight. Do you follow that today? To intercede for someone is not just to say, 
Dear God, please bless him today. To intercede is to stand in the gap and recognize what's at stake. Lord, let's fight for him or her today. Because there is someone else who is fighting. There is someone, and he's roaring as a lion, seeking whom he may devour. And so, to intercede starts with letter A, to intercede with agony. To intercede with agony. How about letter B? To intercede with boldness. To intercede with boldness. Go with me to Genesis chapter 18. Genesis is the first book of the Bible. Uh, I think the prime example here of someone who is interceding for, some, for other people with a sense of boldness is Abraham. Abraham in Genesis chapter 18. First book of the Bible. Abraham actually finds in Genesis 18, he, he finds himself um, playing host to three strangers who by the end of his time entertaining them, he realizes, wow, this is, these are heavenly visitors, okay? He realizes that he is entertaining God in his humble abode. And as God is, a, is taking off with uh, two heavenly escorts, um, Abraham asks for a minute of God's time. And in Genesis chapter 18, beginning in verse 22, the Bible says, Then the men turned away from there. That's, that's code for God and his two heavenly escorts. It says, Then the men turned away from there and went toward Sodom. But Abraham still stood before the Lord. God's trying to go. Abraham's in his way. This is kind of bold, wouldn't you say? <laughs> I mean, this isn't, this isn't a brash, rude boldness. There's actually a great amount of humility in Abraham, as you'll see. In verse 23, Abraham came near and said, Would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Abraham was privy to this, the reality that God was there visiting Sodom and Gomorrah because he had heard the outcry of evil from these two towns. And God wanted to check it out for himself before he executed judgment. That's the way God is. He, he doesn't just like, oh, okay, psh, you know, he, he actually wants to see. He gives people time to, to, not just to be investigated, but he gives people time to repent. That, that's really what he's after. And so Abraham asks this question, would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there were 50 righteous within the city. Would you also destroy the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous that were there in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked so that the righteous should be as the wicked. Far be it from you. In other words, that's so outside of your character, God. Abraham's pulling out some tricks. He's saying, hey, hey, that, this is who you are. You should act in accordance with who you are, right? And in verse 26, so the Lord said, if I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sakes. But the conversation continues. In verse 27, Then Abraham answered and said, Indeed now, I who am but dust and ashes have taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose there were five less than the fifty. Right? You kind of see where this is leading, right? Abraham bargains God down from fifty to ten. <laughs> and he does it humbly, but he does it with boldness. In Hebrews chapter 6, verse 14, when talking about prayer, uh, the Apostle Paul says, Let us therefore come boldly, to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Abraham was interceding not just for two cities, but he was specifically interceding for his family. Lot, his nephew, his wife, Lot's kids, and their husbands. Lot was interceding for his family. 
Unfortunately, they did not amount to more than ten. And so Sodom and Gomorrah faced a judgment that that was well-deserved. But here's Abraham and, and the example of him just talking with God about this, bargaining with him in a sense. He was talking to God with boldness. He was interceding, not for his own needs, but for the needs of someone else. He was interceding with boldness. Abraham was bold enough to trust in God's character and also to trust in his ability. When you and I are praying, we're praying for relatives. And Again, in this story, specifically, he's praying for relatives. When you're praying for your kids, you can pray with boldness. Seriously, God wants you to. He invites you to pray with boldness, to ask big, to ask lots. All right, so interceding with agony, that's A. Interceding with boldness, that's B. What else? Interceding with compassion. Interceding with compassion. Prime example, Moses. Moses in Exodus chapter 32, that's where I'm going to go. Exodus is the next book in the Bible. If you're in Genesis, just go to the next book. Exodus 32. Exodus 32 is one of those heartbreaking chapters while Moses is receiving the Ten Commandments from God, talking with God face to face. The people of Israel, who have seen so many miracles on their behalf, performed by God, so much of God's power and love towards them, they actually create, generate, mold and shape this golden calf and say, this is the God that delivered us out of Egypt. Moses comes down. He realizes what's happening. He he says, okay. I mean, okay, so he's, he's expressed a lot of different forms of anger. He threw the Ten Commandments down, things like that. But, but, be, but after all of this, he says, let me go talk to God and see if he will not smite you, okay? And in Exodus 32, if you're there, say amen, okay? Starting in verse 30, it says now, this is Exodus 32, beginning in verse 30. Now it came to pass on the next day that Moses said to the people, you have committed a great sin, so now I will go up to the Lord Perhaps I can make atonement for your sins. That word atonement means at one minute, bringing you back together. Verse 31. Then Moses returned to the Lord and said, Oh, these people have committed a great sin and have made for themselves a God of gold. Yet now, if you will forgive their sin. He's pleading for them. God, forgive them. They've messed up so many times already. They've messed up royally now. Please, God, forgive them. But then notice, but if not, I pray, blot me out of your book, which you have written. He's talking about the book of life, the book of salvation. And Moses is saying, Lord, I know they deserve to be blotted out of the book. But if you're not going to forgive them, if you're not going to blot out their sins, then just blot me out instead. Moses is putting himself in the position of the people that have messed up he is literally standing in the gap. Actually, if you're writing down notes, Psalm 106, verse 23, specifically references this story and says that Moses stood in the breach. He stood in the gap, literally, in this experience. He was praying with compassion. He was willing to be blotted out of God's book, a selfless kind of love. He was praying for them as though he were in their shoes. That's what it is to pray with compassion. To intercede is to pray with agony, recognizing the fight that is needed in this spiritual warfare. To intercede is to pray with boldness, to realize who God is, and that you can ask a lot because of who He is. And then it's to also pray, or to intercede with compassion. How about letter D? How to intercede? We intercede with direction. 
direction. This is really interesting. In 1 John 5, verse 14. 1 John 5, verse 14, we're given this awesome promise. Now, this is the confidence, okay, assurance, something we can be confident about. This is the confidence that we have in Him, in God. That if we ask anything according to His will, what's the assurance? What's the confidence? He hears us. He hears us. If we ask anything according to His will, that's an awesome promise. And I've looked at that promise before. I was like, man, God, thank you so much. But what is your will for this person? <laughs> what is your will for that person? And I've wondered, how, how do I know God's will to pray in such a way that God hears and answers? And this is what it is to pray with direction. Because we need direction to know how to pray for that coworker, for that neighbor, for that family member. How do we pray we pray with direction. I, I want to go to the example of Daniel. Daniel is also in the Old Testament. It's a little more than halfway through. In Daniel chapter 9, in Daniel chapter 9, I think Daniel is a, a prime example of this. In Daniel chapter 9, the Bible says that, uh, that Daniel was kind of distressed about a vision that he had received in chapter 8, and so he went about studying the prophecies. Well, what prophecies? Well, he was studying specifically the prophecies of Jeremiah, who just lived uh, a, few, a few years before, or at least uh, his ministry had started a few years before we catch up with, with Daniel here in Daniel 9. In Daniel chapter 9, verse 2, it says, In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet, that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. Here's Daniel, himself a prophet, studying another prophet's writings, Jeremiah. And in Jeremiah 29, maybe you've heard you know, famous passages or quotes from Jeremiah 29, I know the plans that I have for you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Prior to that, in Jeremiah 29, Jeremiah is giving the people of Israel this promise, this prophecy, that they would be taken captive in Babylon for only 70 years. Jeremiah was giving them bad news, but he was really giving them good news because that captivity had a definite time period, right? It's not going to last forever, guys. You're going to be brought back. God knows the plans he has for you, plans to give you a hope in the future, okay? That's the context of that, that promise. And Daniel is studying these prophecies, and he's realizing, wait a minute, that was 70 years ago. I'm on the other end of these 70 years. This is good news. But you know what Daniel does? He goes to prayer. He sees that God's word has declared this. And then notice verse 3. Then I set my face toward the Lord God to make request by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. And I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession. And he is interceding at this point for himself and for the rest of his people. This is very interesting to me. Because Daniel had studied God's word. He understood the, the direction of God's plans from the word. He knew that God was going to fulfill these prophecies, but he didn't just assume that God was going to make things happen when they were supposed to happen. He actually prayed the prophecies. This is really interesting. I mean, we know that Jesus is coming. That's a promise. And yet at the end of Revelation, we hear this prayer. Even so, come Lord Jesus. And in the Lord's Prayer, it says, your kingdom come, your will be done. Wait, wait, we already know Jesus is coming, so why pray about that? Because we're praying according to his will. You're talking about uh, 1 John 5, 14. How do we know? I mean, how, how do I have confidence that I'm praying according to God's will? Look to the word 
and look for God's desires. Look for God's plans. Look for God's prophecies. Look for God's promises. Look for what his priorities are, what he values, and pray according to that. Does this make sense today? Yeah? I hope so. Because uh, sometimes I, I, I'm really kind of left at this point, like, I have this burden for, for my friend, or, you know, uh, someone texted me just yesterday, and she was saying she, she was going through a lot of struggles and just needed lots of prayer. And I, I just asked God, man, what, what should I pray for this individual? And you know what? When I asked God that question, three promises came to my mind. <laughs> three promises that I had heard or memorized in the past, and I just began to pray those promises. Why? Because I know God has promised it, so it must be His will to fulfill it. And I can pray with direction now. I can intercede with... Is it, hopefully this makes... I, I want this to be as practical as possible, that when we intercede for someone else, we can actually intercede according to God's will with confidence. So to pray with direction is to let our prayers be shaped, to let our prayers be informed by God's word. To pray with direction is to discern God's purposes, His priorities in the Bible, and then see those purposes, see those priorities, and say, hey, I can pray for that on behalf of someone else. The best way to start, like uh, I just shared with you, is just to to reflect on God's promises. Ask ask God, give me a promise for my friend today that I can pray. Give me a promise for my child today. If you want some promises just to write down, here are some of my favorites to pray. Isaiah 49, verse 25. Isaiah 49, verse 25. Especially if you have children. This promise says that, I will contend with him who contends against you, and I will save your children. That's God's promise. Okay, if that's your promise, God, then when I'm interceding for my kids, I don't just want to intercede for their good grades I don't just want to intercede for their future spouse. I mean, those are good things to pray for. (laughs) But you can pray for their salvation. Why? Because God wants to give it. God wants to. We can have confidence that he hears us when we pray that. Uh, Some other promises. Genesis 3, verse 15. I will put enmity between you and the woman. This is talking, this is God's word to Satan saying, hey, look, you may be on the same side right now as humanity, but I'm going to put a resistance there. I'm going to put enmity between you and sin, basically. And you can claim that promise and say, God, right now my friend just has no desire to say no to wrong things. Has no desire to say yes to right things. God, I'm claiming this promise that you will put enmity between my friend and sin. Uh, Some other promises, Romans 8, verses 38 to 39, that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Maybe you have a friend or a family member, a coworker who feels like they are totally off the radar from God. They need the assurance that nothing separates them from the love of God. Awesome promises. God's word is full of promises. And as you find those promises, pray those promises. So we can intercede with agony. We can intercede with boldness. We can intercede with compassion. We can intercede with direction. A, B, C, D. The next one is not letter E. I'm sorry, I couldn't think of one. (laughs) But this is the one that I wanted to share. To intercede with unity. It's a vowel. It's close enough, right? To, To intercede with unity. What do I mean by this? What do I mean by this? That means to pray when you're interceding for friends, when you're interceding for the community. I would encourage you to find others to join you in praying for that person and praying for that situation. You have a child that you are just wanting the best for, you wanting salvation for. Find someone else to join you in prayer, to partner with you in prayer for that. Uh, there's an awesome promise, Matthew chapter 18, verse 19 says this again, 
This is Jesus speaking. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask. Okay, this, this is like a blank check kind of thing here. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Just let that sink in. (laughs) It will be done. What's the condition? What's the condition? If two of you agree on earth concerning anything that you ask. I mean, last week we, we considered this idea of unanswered prayers and things like that, things that we're, we're not seeing the answers to, or maybe the answers are there, but we're not wanting to see those answers. And so this, uh, this whole conversation may, may take lots of different directions. You, know, you may object to this and things like that, but the promise is there. And I think the emphasis that I want us to, just to really highlight is this idea of agreeing with someone else in prayer. Specifically, the context here in Matthew 18 it's actually praying for people who are, um, who are not relationally healthy, <laughs> who are, you're having relational difficulties with, difficult people. Uh, I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm the only one who ever deals with difficult people. No? Yeah, okay. Anyways, <laughs> but in Matthew 18, uh, we're talking about how to reconcile people, uh, to reconcile with people, to reconcile over differences and things like that. And then Jesus starts talking about praying for them. So if it, when we agree in prayer for those who are kind of experiencing these relational difficulties, that's the immediate context. But any difficulty, Jesus says, hey, that's going to be done by your Father in heaven when you agree, when you agree. Powerful example, as you're taking notes here, Moses again. Moses, um, if, if you're writing this down, this is in Exodus 17. You can look it up with me. Exodus 17. Moses and the children of Israel, they're just fresh off of the Red Sea, so to speak. Okay? They're, they've, they're on the other side of the Red Sea. Uh, they've experienced challenges already. Uh, they, they were without bread, and then they were without food, but God, I'm sorry, w- without water, and God provided both of those things. But then now there's this uh, random group of people that are offended by the presence of the Israelites in the wilderness. And so these are the Amalekites, and they're just kind of gathering their forces. They start attacking God's people. They're not trained for war. They're, they've been slaves for 400 years in Egypt, right? And so um, Joshua com- or Moses commissions this young man, Joshua, to lead an army out against them. And Moses says, hey, I'm going to go up to the top of that mountain and get the best seat in the house. No, I'm kidding. He, he says, no, I'm, I'm going to go up to the top of the mountain with the rod of God in my hand, and I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray. And Moses goes up to the top. He, he's interceding, and he takes two people with him. And there it is in Exodus 17, beginning in verse 11, it says this, And so it was, when Moses held up his hand, this is a, a posture of prayer, a gesture of reaching out to God, okay? As Moses, when Moses held up his hand, that Israel prevailed. And when he let his, down his hand, Amalek prevailed. Whoa, 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 whoa. What's going on? The more prayer, the more power. Less prayer, less power. You're, you're following this? And so in verse 12, but Moses' hands became heavy. And this is so true. When we're praying for people, when we're interceding for people, I mean, maybe that's what E could be, to pray with endurance, right? When you're praying for people and you're not seeing the results that you want to see, or you feel like, ah, God's not doing what, what He has promised to do, there's a need for endurance. 
And sometimes that endurance doesn't just come from your, like, beating your own chest, saying, I'm going to keep on praying. No, what you need is people around you. And in verse 12, Moses, thankfully, had people around him. But Moses' hands became heavy, so they took a stone and put it under him, and he, had, and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side, the other on the other side, and his hands were, I love this word, were steady until the going down of the sun. So Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Maybe you're not experiencing victory in prayer. Maybe it starts with unity in prayer. To pray with agony, to pray with boldness, to pray with compassion and direction, and to also pray with unity. This is what it is to intercede. This is what it is to intercede. I mean, maybe there's more. Maybe we could do the whole alphabet. I don't know. But, but as, I'm, as I've been experiencing the power of intercessory prayer, I've been so blessed by finding people to pray with. You know, when we first moved here uh, to Colorado, one of my first priorities was to find people to pray with. And so I, I met Dave, and then I met Clint, and we started having these weekly appointments where we just pray for the church, the church that did not exist yet, you know. And, and praise the Lord, you know, <laughs> here we are. When I was in seminary, I had, I had two guys that, that I'm sorry, three, three other guys that we would work out together. And we'd also pray together. And, um, and even, what, it's been five, six years since then. And we still, still get on Google Hangouts and we still pray together. Why? Because we need it. We need it. Our hands get heavy and we need to pray. And so as you're looking at this of how you can engage in intercessory prayer, what are the things that, that you're wanting to experience more of? Is it more of a sense of fight, you know, agony? Is it more of a sense of boldness that you actually see God for who He is and you want to pray according to who He is? Is it to pray with compassion, actually put yourself in other people's shoes so that you can pray what they desperately need? Is it to pray with direction, you know, that you need to, to know God's promises so that you can claim God's promises in prayer? Is it to pray with unity, to find a prayer partner, or two, or three, or 17? I don't know. What is it for you, as you're wanting to, to be educated in the school of prayer, so to speak, to become a house of prayer? Today, I want to just extend two simple take-home challenges, and I want to encourage you to at least do one of the two, okay? So I'm, gonna, I'm not going to force you to fill out a decision card or whatever, but I want you to, to take one of these challenges home with you. One. The first challenge is to make a prayer list. Now, I'll make it very, very simple. Two or three names of people between, her, between God and that person, there is a gap. And you want to stand in the gap through prayer. Make a prayer list. A prayer list of two or three names next to their name. Like, actually write it down. Actually put it on a post-it note or a card that you can put in your Bible or something. Maybe you already have a prayer list. Get it out again. Maybe you've forgotten it. Maybe it's kind of slipped into some pages and you're not quite sure where it is or who's on that thing. But make a new prayer list. Make a prayer list of two or three names with a need per name. A need per name. All right? And as, as you're, you're making that prayer list, uh, as you're praying throughout the week, maybe God's going to bring a promise to your mind so that you can pray with direction for that individual. Whatever it is, I want to just give you permission to take this challenge and to actually pray throughout the week for that individual to stand in the gap. So, so that's take-home challenge number one. Take-home challenge number two, if you choose not to accept this mission. <laughs> the second one is to find a prayer partner. To find someone throughout this coming week that you can pray with 
for someone else that you have a burden for. All right? And uh, you know what? Maybe to even to, to kind of combine these two, maybe a third take-home challenge would be uh, you've got a Connect card on the, the edge of your bulletin there. And it says, the, the bottom line of the Connect card, it says, please pray for, and then there's a blank line there. Every Monday morning, there's a prayer conference call that we host. The information is there on the back of your bulletin. But there are a few of us that get together there. And if you want us to pray with you, like to unite in prayer with you for someone that you want to stand in the gap for, put that person's name there. And maybe just a general description of their need. Or maybe you don't want to put their name. You just want to put their relation to you or something like that. Um, So that we, when we get on that conference call on Monday morning, we can pray for that person with you. Does that make sense? I mean, not that you have to. I mean, it'd be great to have you call in at 6 a.m. with us. But if you want us to unite with you in prayer, that would be kind of a combo, a combo of a making a prayer list plus finding a prayer partner. You can find people who are already praying to pray with you in that, okay? So is there, of those three, is there one that you can find, a take-home challenge that you say, yeah, that, that's, that's me. I'll do that, yeah? Okay, I see some head nods. I see some heads, hands raised. Good, good. Um, right now, maybe there's a name. That, or there's a face in your mind that you just really want to pray for. And so as we close in prayer right now, I just really want to, I'm going to give you a time of silent prayer just to pray for that individual and say, Lord, I'm standing in the gap for this person. All right, so let's bow our heads. God, thank you for giving us a chance to study something that, um, I don't know, I think we, in general ways, are familiar with praying for people but to give it thought and to give it intentionality and, and to allow you to, to shape and sharpen how we experience this, Lord. Um, that's what we're wanting. I, and I guess that's what you're wanting too. You're looking for people to intercede, to stand in the gap. And so, Lord, in our attempts to become a house of prayer, let us not, let us, let us not just assume that someone else is going to pray. Please put it on our hearts to be the kind of people that will stand in line with Jesus, to stand in the gap with Jesus, to pray for our friends and family. So right now, just in the sounds of our hearts, we're just going to lift up to you the names and needs of those that we want to stand in the gap for right now. Father, you've heard these heart cries, names of spouses, names of children, names of friends, names of acquaintances, names of neighbors. Lord, please, we know that you love them with a love that is infinitely greater than our love for them. And so we're asking that you would do whatever it takes to provide not just for their physical needs, but to provide for their need for salvation. Thank you, God, that that's your desire. And we just want to give you permission through prayer to fulfill your will in their lives. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray these things with confidence. We pray with these things with gratitude. In Jesus' saving name, let the family say, Amen. Amen.
God bless you, friends. Thanks so much for sharing this time with us. May God continue to give you a spirit of prayer, and may he give you a deeper experience as you converse and talk with him. God bless you.